of this experiment that we're doing on our planet has accelerated things so fast that uh, I can't believe that we're going to see this in in our lifetime. Like this is 15 years, 20 years away. On behalf of the members of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering, welcome to this episode of Learning and Living STEM in Connecticut, the podcast of the Connecticut Academy of Science and Engineering. My name is Tan Dillion. I'm an elected member of the Academy and serve on its governing council. For more information about the Academy, please visit www.ctcase.org. That's C-T-C-A-S-E dot O-R-G. I am pleased to have as our guest Epapandi Penny Vlahos, Professor and Associate Head, Department of Marine Sciences, University of Connecticut. The topic is a changing Arctic and we'll be talking about the rapid change underway in the Arctic Ocean with projections that by 2040, it will experience its first ice-free September. What will be the impacts of these rapid changes on global and regional climates? Welcome, Penny. Hello, thanks for having me. Can you share a bit about yourself, please? Sure. Um, my, I'm originally from Toronto, Canada. Uh, my background is in chemical engineering from the University of Toronto. Um, in my senior year there, I took a class on environmental thermodynamics and was extremely inspired by it and ended up deciding that that's what I wanted to keep pursuing. So following that, I did my PhD at the University of Massachusetts, um, looking at carbon cycling, uh, specifically the carbon uh, that was exported from continental shelves in the mid-Atlantic bite into the open ocean. and um, since then have been working on similar projects around the world for different kinds of compounds and of course have done uh, a lot of work in the arctic as well wow yeah that's uh that's a pretty impressive resume so uh so let's let's jump right into this a bit uh what are the changes anticipated in the arctic ocean yeah so some of the we know that this is um, a very sensitive region where we can see signals before we may be able to measure them averaged out over the entire planet so the the polar arctic the arctic and the poles are a bit of our canary in the cage mm. and uh, right now the the rate of warming in the arctic is twice as much as it is for the the average around the entire planet so again we can see the changes there earlier than we would if we were looking at say at the equator or somewhere else and that's insightful because it can tell us it's a, an early warning call uh, it also um, is an indicator of some of the changes that we might be anticipating ahead so so what is uh i've heard this term about uh sea ice or multi-year sea ice like yeah. what is multi-year sea ice and what purpose does it actually serve 
Okay. Yeah. Excellent. Um, so in the Arctic Ocean, the Arctic is about, it's like the opposite in a sense of what the Antarctic is. Okay. The Antarctic is a, a continent that's surrounded by ocean and has a little bit of sea ice that all melts in the summer. The Arctic Ocean is an ocean surrounded by land. Ah. And so, yeah. And so it, yeah, equal and opposite in a way. And there, all of that permanent ice cap that we've associated with the North Pole is actually not land at all. It's all multi-year ice. So it's ice that uh, always is there. It, freeze and, it freezes and thaws with annual cycles, but it's significantly thicker than the annual ice. Annual ice gets to be about a meter thick that we see free, you know, freezing, forming, and then completely thawing. And the multi-year ice, it can be about four meters thick. It can get a lot thicker because when two four meter uh, thick uh, slabs of ice or plates of ice hit together, they can actually converge and, and get a little thicker. You can see it going up to 15 meters and even, um, but that's because of collision. But the growth and the, um, the thawing that it undergoes on annual cycles usually limits it to about four meters. Now, that is a holding space for uh, cooling our planet. It's just like when we put ice in the cooler, right? So as long as you have that regular ice supply up there, you have a really great sink for heat. And it's working for us. And that's what is has been happening. It's accepting or absorbing this extra heat that's been added to the planet. However, the concern is, and the it's going to happen that we're losing that buffer. So that annual or multi that annual ice will still be there, but the multi-year ice, which is like our long-term cooling, um, is going to go extinct. And one of the things that we really wanted to understand in our research is, well, can we at least get the chemical record of the multi-year ice to see what we're losing, how it differs from the annual ice? that is going to be our future over the, you know, our, in our generation. And um, what does this mean for the chemistry changes in the Arctic as this progresses? Wow, that's a, that's a great way to put it where you say it's like your ice in your cooler. Because like, you don't really think about it. You, yeah, you don't think about it from that perspective, but it, it, it actually makes a lot more sense to me now. But that, wow. So it's it is a it is a vital source that that does not happen because otherwise it's going to just be an ex, an accelerated warming trend. That's much. right. Okay. So all the latent heat that that can absorb, yeah. the, and the latent heat, um, of course, is that supply is that heat um, sink. Um, that's what we're losing. That the all that energy that the warming would transfer into just melting ice instead of changing temperature. I see. Um, okay. Yeah, that's going away. I see. Okay, so no more melting of the ice. Now it's just going to warm the ocean because there's no ice to melt. Exactly. Well, we're still going to have in the winter when there, because there will be no sun, we'll still get the annual ice. Okay. But that is... Um, Imagine the changes because as you lose that, you know, the, that ice in your cooler, mm -hmm. now the water in the cooler starts to warm up. I see. Right? Because, and so over time, 
the Arctic Ocean is start is going to it's not going to have that protective shield of ice over the surface. Sure. So it's just going to be storing more energy, which means it's going to be heating up. And of course, that translates to um, a thinner and, and slightly different nature of uh, annual ice that will be forming. My goodness. I know. And in, in our generation, that's the crazy part. You know, something usually these kinds of things were we're used to hearing about ice ages and geological time scales, but we have, um, you know, this experiment that we're doing on our planet has accelerated things so fast that uh, I can't believe that we're going to see this in in our lifetime. Like this is 15 years, 20 years away. Wow, I, I'm yeah, I'm a, a bit nonplussed just by what you've said. It's uh, it's pretty pretty stark, and uh, it, it's a good good reminder that we really need to act now and not not wait. So so I'm assuming that you know if if the if you're getting this warming, the ecosystems are going to change, and and how is that going to affect, I guess the, the the biodiversity up there? Is that going to have an a uh, an effect oh, on uh, it? Or? Yeah, absolutely. So okay, so this is the complicated part. We don't know what the changes are going to be exactly, because all of these changes are both have positive feedbacks and negative feedbacks to them. So the 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 final. Uh, result is all going to be about how fast each one of these changes is happening in either direction and which one dominates. So one of the, for example, um, one of the other changes that's going to be happening is, uh, you know, a lot of uh, you've all heard about uh, the loss of permafrost, right? And the um, idea was that, well, as the permafrost melts, then we're going to have more inputs of um, soil detritus organic matter and nutrients going into the system right but um, a recent study has looked at uh, the, the freshwater systems going into the arctic ocean and the arctic ocean again it's real it's very small so this is why it's also a great place to study this canary in uh, the cage because it's only three percent of the ocean volume but ten percent of the co2 uptake on the planet and 10%, it gets 10% of the freshwater inputs to the planet. Wow. So we're, you can study freshwater changes and you can study um, acidification or that because of the uptake of CO2 uh, with pretty high signals up there. So um, uh, that recent study found that, you know, they looked at over uh, more than 10 years what were the nutrient profiles going in? What were the carbon studies going, the carbon flows going in? And and basically it wasn't exactly what would be expected that it didn't actually have more nutrients going in because those nutrients, even though they were, there were more that were freed up and released from the permafrost, they get taken up really quickly. Okay. So, yeah, so it, it didn't, it meant that that means that you're gonna have a different ecology balance because the organisms that are going to be able to take that stuff up really quickly are going to win until they deplete them. And there are going to be shifts in the winners and the losers. And the other thing is um, the acidification is going to be significant in the Arctic. And that's a place where you would see it, again, faster than you'll see it in the average open ocean. And uh, we don't know, because with the warming waters, that's going to lead to zonation and shifting. So species that normally would have been found at lower latitudes 
are now going to either seasonally migrate up there because they can. Okay. The waters are going to be warmer. They'll probably find a way to not stay there or have to adapt to the, the very harsh winter darkness. But um, there will be shifts and there will be, you know, biological winners and losers. So a lot of that is just unknown. But one of the reasons we're doing this work, our research, is to try to understand what the um, intensity of the freshwater melt is going to be now what that delivers, what that means to the surface ocean in terms of nutrients and uh, organisms and so on, and then try to help to figure out and make these predictions for the next you know, 50 to 100 years of what we might anticipate to see. So that's really where our research wants to go, to try to prepare for those things, right? To say that, well, okay, this train has left the station, we know that these are the changes that are, are happening and that um, we think these are the implications. So even though we've got our really improved global circulation models and climate models, the poles are one of the places where we don't have a lot of data and um, they've been pretty stable for a long time. So the dynamics of those responses are, are some of our biggest unknowns right now. So it's going to be important to constrain those over the next decade. Okay. So yeah. just just a couple of things that you said that uh, I just want to make sure I clearly understand. When you when you mentioned the permafrost and the annual ice, those are obviously two different things. Yes. Okay. So there, the annual ice that I've been referring to is the ice that forms in the in the um, in the ocean. Okay. In the Arctic Ocean, when um, the fall comes and the, there's uh, no light anymore. Okay. And then that. It's annual because by September the following year, between July and September, it melts. Okay. Because it can. It's one. It's only a meter thick, and that's just enough. It gets just enough heat over the summer to melt the whole thing. And then there's the land ice okay. and the permafrost that's in the adjacent you know, land that's surround. Remember, it's surrounded by this, right, yes, yes. as opposed to the, the Antarctic. So the Antarctic, because it's surrounded by ocean, uh, it's a more buffered or more protected because the water is has really good heat is a really good heat sink so it has really good heat capacity so it kind of slows down the changes you might see in the Antarctic. The Arctic's changes land is not a good heat it's a very quickly responds to heat changes so it's going to translate into rapid changes okay. in the Arctic. And then yeah. you mentioned uh, zonation so is that like you're yeah. talking about the zones that animals normally travel to? Okay. Right. Okay. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, there and, and who are the winners and losers, um, I think it's going to be a very important story in the next, over the next 10 years. Okay. So, so the projection for the future Arctic is, I mean, you're looking 10 years out or you're looking, okay, wow. 10 years out is going to be, we're going to see huge changes over the next 10 years. Um, and, and of course, ideally, you want to be able to project to the next 50 to 100 years, right? Sure. But we also don't know what our CO2 trajectories are going to look like and how they're going to shift. So based on just the changes we have right now, the next, you know, 40, 50 years are pretty set. Okay. Um, and then how we respond with alternative energies and things like that will help make the projections for beyond that. 
So regardless of what they're doing right now with like COP28 and all this, it's the next 50 years are pretty much predestined. And then whatever happens with COP28 and all the other climate solutions, that will affect the next 50 years after that is, is yeah. what you're saying. Wow. Yeah, exactly. Like, and and COP28, <laughs> we you know, they called it a bit of a success because they were able to put the word fossil fuels in there. But it really is non-binding sounds like a band-aid so, yeah it's a band-aid and it's exactly where it, it it doesn't really take us much further because again it's not binding so countries just have to um they, they're free to respond as they wish to it and that's you know that's the way the un works that you know you decide what the best way forward is and you can't force anybody into any actions um but what i do think it's doing is uh, at least getting people to think about reducing their CO2 emissions right from the source to do more treatment on site. Ideally, what you'd want to see is a closed system that every manufacturing or every source uh, releases air and water the way they found it. Sure. Okay. And as opposed, because the way we exist right now and the, our, our current practices we put the cost that a manufacturer of energy or of a product puts the cost of the environmental economy onto society. Um, it's, and it's not integrated into their operational costs. Okay. So in, in a way they get an environmental freebie. I see. Right. Okay. Uh, so ideally what you'd want to see is that um, our standards change to that manufacturers really have a zero sum game okay and that um your impact so that their net footprint is zero on the environment that should be logically you know they're benefiting from the air and water that they're using right sure. yeah. and so having an obligation to put it back um you know the way it was is reasonable it's just that in our past right now legislative wise co2 wasn't considered a pollutant so it's not, you know, obviously if they're putting lead or mercury, that's something that they did have to address a little bit in the past. But I think understanding what we what we call putting it back in a safe or putting it back safely might have to ch has to change a little bit. And obviously CO2 emissions are are part of that. Yeah, I think I think fundamentally, I don't think society really, truly comprehends that the next 50 years are literally predestined like I think people still think like you're going to do a bunch of things now and it's going to change stuff over the next like in the short term right like I don't think we, we really understand that no this is this is done like this is it's it. done exactly yeah. exactly so a good example of that was um, the ozone problem right with the CFCs mm -hmm. in the 80s yep. and uh, even though they were uh, that was 85 and even though they were phased out we're still seeing the recovery today right sure it's still not back to where it was before so we did that damage over a very short period of time but the recovery takes a long time and that was one of our probably best success stories as a human species because we reacted to that quickly when we realized what the problem was it took only like five six years for industry to find alternatives and for for the, C, the compounds to be legislatively uh, phased out. 
and the CO2 hasn't, we haven't been as successful sure. uh, with CO2. So, you know, phasing that out is still remains a challenge. And really, it's going to be up to um, alternative energy sources. You know, there's so many factors, obviously, that you know about that are go into these choices. But hopefully, alternative energy technologies and this um, recognizing CO2 as a pollutant in emissions, in stack emissions, so that people do have to remove it. Um, are you know the the directions forward that's what we need to do okay so it's you know some of the like carbon capture technologies is that like a viable something that's viable i've heard i've heard it i've heard it bantered around and i'm not really too sure exactly like how how viable it really is yeah or... yeah exactly so there are a lot of these people thinking well okay we've made this mess now let's capitalize on it we can um, <laughs> come up with these carbon capture technologies and remove it from the atmosphere but um, that puts us at bit great risk for you know greenwashing okay. that they say yeah um, mm -hmm. because it's so dilute by the time it's made it to the atmosphere that removing it from the atmosphere is a, a very inefficient process and then you have to find uh, a sink to put it in i mean the best example is probably the uh, carbon dioxide removal that they do in iceland where they actually put it into mineral form okay. so it's going into million like thousands and million year time scale burial okay but it's you know the analogy is you've got the tap on the water is running and you're mopping out without mopping the floor without turning on turning off the tap yeah, and okay. and so it <laughs> and you can't you know pulling it from the atmosphere while the smokestacks are, are still putting in so much just doesn't make sense sure. i mean taking it from the atmosphere after you close the taps and made them remove their co2 from their emissions now that's the next that's a, that's a reasonable next step but the first step should be turning off the tap yeah, that would right. that would logically make sense. I, I guess, I, I mean, I, and I'm I, I'm kind of putting you on the spot here. I mean, you may not be able to answer this, and and that's perfectly fine. But you mentioned you mentioned you know the ozone layer and how we responded so quickly to that 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 uh, uh, issue. Why do you think we are not responding so quickly to? To the current circumstance like it just it, it doesn't make sense to me yeah i'll tell you because unfortunately first of all um i think it's urgency that people don't with ozone it was so urgent that they realized that within a couple of years people were going to be burned you know getting skin cancer all over the place okay and and that put people in a panic and really and it was relatable because it was going to be a global problem where within a few years people were going to start and and they did see elevated skin care skin cancers right and sure. all the yeah. th products that were related to that as well and people um, capitalized on that too <laughs> yeah. right yeah. so this is the irony so you know now no we're going to ruin the ozone then we're going to get you all to wear sunscreen mm -hmm. and then we're instead of but we're going to fix the ozone thank goodness they did turn off the tap right yeah. They, yeah. so they repaired the ozone but then the other added thing is, okay, now everybody wears sunscreen and now you need vitamin D supplements. Yes. <laughs> yes. So buy this and this instead of just make your vitamin D, you know? Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So we, we really need, people need to be educated. We're so removed from our actions and our daily lives to yes. some of these real 
problems and stories. And it's so tragic, right? Because people very well-meaning, all of us, you know, are, are making, are adding to these problems without knowing, without being, uh, realizing that we're part of them. Sure. So, you know, we're looking for, people are looking for leadership and honesty and education. And uh, hopefully with this information age, that's what we can do, right? Um, but, you know, you've seen how it could be misused too. Absolutely. For other purposes. Yeah. And even in the ozone, there was a lot of industry uh, kickback. They tried, they denied the ozone ca- uh, science for, they delayed it for a good five years. Hmm. So it wasn't a, a perfect story there either. We just were able to actually contradict it and go back and, and prove, you know, what the actual science was. And it was acute enough. Yeah. That people, it was successful in the sense that people responded, listened and responded. CO2 is less than a, a five-year problem. And sure. most, you know, electoral cycles are on five-year cycles. So uh, you can get away with not dealing with it and not having any consequences in your short term. Sure. Our sure. consequences are life long-term and it's hard for people to, um, to invest in that. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, I'm just, I'm just blown away. Cause I, I, and you know, I I think having you speak on this, you know, in this forum is one way of, you know, providing that education to the public, because I mean, I was under a different impression as to what was going on. And, you know, you've just set me straight. I I feel (laughs) like, you know, and, uh, and I had no clue that, you know, it was a 50 years and that's it. You know what I mean? Like I, <laughs> you expect, oh yeah, we can fix it in the next 10 years or 20 years oh, if we yeah. do X, Y, and Z. And, and, and again, I keep repeating myself, but I really think like that's the public just keeps thinking, oh yeah, we can, we can change it in the next 10 years or the next 20 years. Cause it's, it's not predestined. It's, you know, we, we can fix everything. Right. And, uh, and you know, we, we obviously can't. So no, we're doing a geoengineering experiment right now. Okay. So uh, there are a lot of observations that we need to be making to understand the whole system because we're going to learn from this as well. But I mean, we know, you know, the train has left the station and again, it doesn't, that doesn't, please don't, (laughs) I don't mean that, you know, it's too late to do anything. Of course we still, it's going to be a lot worse in a hundred years if we don't do anything. Sure. So what, what we're supposed to do now is accept that we haven't responded fast enough. So there are going to be changes and we kind of know what those changes are going to be. Some of them, Sure. Uh, some of the ecosystem level stuff that's so complicated. Um, we don't know like the Arctic system ecosystem and stuff like that. But um, if it, with the right um, technologies and, and changes, you know, maybe our great grandchildren uh, can experience something very, something much better. Yeah, I, I, I truly hope so. And, you know, I, I feel like uh, it may get compounded by the fact that, you know, there's probably going to be, if, if it's if it's melted, there may be greater tra- shipping traffic going that way, right? And, and absolutely. How, how is that going to so, affect the ecosystem even? It's going to make it worse, more. right? Yeah, 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 absolutely. So, so there are, you know, other interests that um, 
will also, you know, they're going to be winners and losers, right? Out of the, every time there's a change, like um, people who were, live in some of these more extreme environments are going to be experiencing more moderate climates, right? Sure. And and for the first time now, there's going to be complete open shipping channels across the Arctic. So yes, there, um, that's also going to be exploited for sure. Um, now there is talk right now of trying to design uh, electric ships uh, that have lower footprints and things like that. And those things are underway right now. Uh, so will it be done in, well, it might be in the next 10 years. So, yeah. So if there's, you know, the, the addition of shipping traffic, etc. And I heard inklings that there may be resource exploration up there potentially. Is that, is that true or? Sure. Absolutely. It's go actually, it's already going on right now. Okay. Norway has taken advantage of it. Um, Russia is taking advantage of it. The U.S. is taking advantage of it. There's a lot of exploration uh, because imagine that whole area has been avoided because it's a hard area to work in and now it won't be, right? So people are making plans for that too. My, The other biggest concern, uh, big concern associated with this is, you know, that winners or lo and losers analogy that they're going to be Imagine our history now, we've already seen these problems, but we're going to have displaced populations associated with this. Sure. And that's another level of uh, complexity that um, we're going to be facing, too, over the next few decades. Yeah, no, so, absolutely. Maybe maybe we can uh, leverage the plight of the polar bear, right? Like, you know? Yeah, and, yeah. Uh, because, I mean, you know, people... Around Christmas time, especially, you know, speaking of Christmas time, uh, yeah. holiday season, like people associate, you know, very well with polar bears and, you know, all their plight and stuff. And, you know, maybe that can be the, you know, the symbol to, to try to help, you know, save the Arctic, hopefully or something. Hopefully there. And the other thing um, that I think is very interesting is that uh, there have been there's been evidence now and this is the zonation yeah. that. Um, uh, polar bears and grizzly bears have started to uh, converge, and uh, they're actually mating. Uh oh. Yeah, and so there are new bears that have been sighted that are fifty that have been products of that overlap of these of the the two different the two species. Wow. Okay. Yeah. So. Uh, big a big. Growler bear. They're yeah. they're calling. They don't know what to call them. Growler bears. Growler, or, yeah. So, yeah. It's like the it's like the liger, right? So it's like a yeah, big, yeah, exactly. a bigger bigger bear bear. <laughs> that's uh those are yeah, that's stark implications and uh who knows yeah. what's what that's going to do for, you know, the new the new ecosystem that uh that that comes about. Yeah. But uh man, so, yeah, this is this has been very very informative. Very very informative. Yeah, I think it's uh, it's it's changing rapidly and there's going to be a lot of um knowledge gained and, and research done over the next uh, 10 20 years i think to try to figure all of this out so so in 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 the next year like what's your what, what are you guys trying to do with with this with this research so we can try to you know get some more immediate gains potentially is there is there one shining thing that you guys are trying to to put forth or is there several a couple things that you're trying to put forth we're trying to so we're analyze we're still analyzing the results from the cruise we were just on in the arctic in the eastern arctic we were there may june on uh the swedish icebreaker the odin 
which great group of people. And um, a lot of the countries that surround the Arctic, like Sweden and Norway, have just signed a, an agreement to prioritize polar research uh, because it's so important to their economy and they have to understand what's happening. Um, but another thing we're cons very concerned about right now is this carbon dioxide removal, the CDR wave that's happening and the concern that people think, oh, it'll all be okay. We can continue doing what we're doing if we use this CDR technology to take it out of the atmosphere. And that's not the right way to go. Like, again, you've got to turn off the tap. Sure. And um, yeah, so that's one. We've just um, created a little educational series for the American Chemical Society with my graduate students. Uh, Lauren Barrett and Samantha Rush okay. and so we're trying to do outreach like that to spread the word in in addition to of course the science that we're doing okay yeah so 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 definitely some steps being taken folks uh, that are listening in and uh, and there's there's big opportunity to for you you know to, to try to help uh, stem your your carbon footprint as, as mm -hmm. well so yeah so I, I guess I guess just uh, just for our, our listeners out there, is there like one piece of advice that you would have for them, just based on your expertise? Uh, yes, uh, my advice would be keep learning and listening uh, and using as many diverse news sources as you can. Okay. And um, and talking to people about these things, we have much more impact than we think we have. We're not as helpless as we might see. It might seem sometimes. Sure. No, that, that's very, very good advice, and uh, and I will I will heed that advice myself. Yeah. <laughs> okay. <laughs> as will I. Okay. <laughs> so All so right. so just on a lighter note, I guess uh, you know uh, I heard. Uh, you, you like to travel, obviously, you like to travel a lot. Is that, so what are some other things you like to do for fun uh, when you're not super busy working working uh, on your research? So, <laughs> I, um, yeah, adventure, I guess. And so one of the things that uh, I like is to work these, the travel into these, exp these projects. Sure. Because there's nothing better than to be alongside from the people that live somewhere and to understand how they are living and what problems they're facing. So a lot of the projects that we do, you know, I, I always say I don't go to, I, you know, that if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. Very true. Yeah. And that's how I feel like these things are even even though if they're exhausting, you just feel like you're trying your finger, your your footprint or your ripple effect in the world is uh, as as good as you can make it. Sure. And so uh, I do a lot of that. And then I involve my family, my family is involved in it too. Like, well, take my kids. Um, they're a little bit older now, but um, my daughter was our field photographer when we did in one of our Sri Lankan projects. Yeah. And um, uh, my, uh, my son as well has, they we talk about these things all the time. They've joined me in a lot of these places um, and that's fun because of course they're the next generation right so educating them about these things so um and then other fun do you like what my hobbies are or yeah yeah absolutely <laughs> i mean it's always nice to you know because 
when you think of you know someone of your caliber you know people don't really don't they they kind of remove the human aspects of, of of like the things that like yeah you like to have fun you're not always working all the time so it's like they it just helps to to for people to to say oh you know and they can associate with 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 you a lot a lot better because some people just you know have will have a hard time understanding you know how like the the magnitude of your work and stuff like that so it's uh yeah. it's always and like so, a nice easy question just to, to yeah, get yeah. yeah okay so yeah i think i try to do a lot of things that are like mindful things that, that like my parents or grant old-fashioned sure the world would have done to keep it keep life simple so we do a lot of just walking around because we can't walk to the village we don't walk to the village square anymore to get our milk and cheese so sure. we do a lot of hiking and uh i crochet <laughs> oh nice made, any, <laughs> made anything good I'm making Christmas presents right now for ah. my kids, but I'm not going to say what they are because it's too early because yeah. they haven't opened them yet. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, I've, I've been doing a lot of that lately and reading of course, but, um, uh, yeah, cause that's a little escapism too. Um, but yeah, I try to sometimes go back and do a lot of things that, um, are very hand on, hands on, um, that, our ancestors would have done because our age is we do things everything's moving so fast sure yeah so uh, and we're in front of screens all the time so i try to you know balance it off by doing things that are totally not like that yeah and, no uh, that makes that makes a lot of sense balances the earth seeks balance you know human, yeah human beings should seek balance as well and, and yeah even things like the crocheting i was it's so funny because it's it it's a simple thing that calms you down, but it's not like watching a, a film or a movie because you're actually making you're doing something active, not passive. Sure. And I think that's something we're losing. Yeah. Because we have so much passive involvement in things, and it's always information at us, at us, as opposed to producing and contributing to. So when I'm done with that. You know, I actually feel proud that I have something, something to show for it. Sure. Yeah. As opposed to, I don't know what I just did for the last two hours. You know, yeah. I just saw a lot of flashing or something like that, which, uh, you know, I think that cost that comes at a cost over time. Yeah. Just like our CO two. Yes. <laughs> it's yeah. accumulating. Yeah. So you accumulate all this passive angst. It probably makes people more stressed because they're not um, doing, you know, some of the things that they were meant to do. Sure. Or we've evolved to do. Sure. No, yeah. it, it certainly uh, certainly makes sense, and uh, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of great advice in, in the things that you've said. And and I want to be a grandmother too, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna rush my kids on that one too. So I'm just waiting for that. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's the next big mountain to climb. I hope. I hope. Yeah. Yeah. I, well, I'm sure I'm sure you will. You've 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 summited many mountains, and I'm sure that <laughs> you will definitely get to that one as well. So, so with that, I would like to uh, to thank our guest, Epapandi Penny Vlahos. Thank you so much, Penny. Thank you. For those living in Connecticut and others tuning in from outside our state, thank you for sharing your research and for helping us to understand the impacts of the rapidly changing Arctic Ocean. I encourage you to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, or YouTube, and visit the Academy's website, again, at www.ctcase.org, 
To learn more about our guest, read the episode transcript, and access additional resources, as well as to sign up for the case bulletin.